0: The challenges that we're seeing for LGBT youth are enormous. And what's really important is, is not only that we identify that the problem exists, but we really then talk about what we can do and what next steps we need to look at about how we can help address the mental health disparities that are occurring within the LGBT population.
1: Hello and welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm Rob Hoyle, sitting in for Sandra Lindsay. This is the third and final episode in our series on child suicide prevention. Today, we look into the alarming stats around suicidality in our LGBTQIA youth. September is National Suicide Prevention Month, and over the last several weeks, we brought you conversations with experts and advocates working to address this growing crisis. Recent data shows a startling spike in overall suicidality in children and adolescents. In part one, Sandra spoke with child psychiatrist Vera Foyer about ways parents and caregivers can address suicidal ideation in children. In part two, Sandra spoke with representatives from Your Mom Cares, a group focused on addressing behavioral health issues in children. On today's episode, we pivot our attention to a group uniquely at risk for suicidality LGBTQ children. Two leading experts in their field share their thoughts Dr. David Rosenthal, founding medical director for Northwell Health Center for Transgender Care, and medical director for Northwell Center for Young Adult, Adolescent, and Pediatric HIV. Joining the conversation is the center's senior psychologist, Dr. Helena Roderick, who is also a senior psychologist for the Center for Young Adult, Adolescent, and Pediatric HIV and the Division of Medical Genetics. In the CDC's 2023 report called the Youth Risk Behavioral Survey, 70% of LGBTQ youth experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness, and more than 20% of these students attempted suicide.
0: And what we really found out was, is that we're seeing scary trends and and concerns among youth in general about persistence of feelings of sadness and hopelessness, um, increased suicidality, people that have made suicidal plans and people that have attempted suicide, all are up in the general population, but all are up even more dramatically within the LGBT population. This matches data that came out a few years before saying that, you know, there was a 35% con- contemplation for suicidal ideation from that was published in the CDC, um, MMWR, just in 2019.
1: MMWR stands for Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, a weekly digest from the CDC. Another report released in 2023 shows that 41% of LGBTQ youth seriously contemplated suicide. That data is from the Trevor Project a nonprofit focused on suicide prevention efforts among these students. Its 2023 national survey included 28,000 LGBTQ young people ages 13 to 24 and also highlights ways we can support these populations, which we'll talk about later in the show. Both surveys highlight the many factors contributing to this horrifying trend. Among them are social media, economic issues, academic and home pressures, and lack of access to care. While those apply to all kids, Dr. Roderick said there's yet another that LGBT kids are confronted with every day.
2: There is a term in psychology called minority stress, and that's essentially just the stress that you experience as being part of a minority group, being marginalized for being a member of a minority group, that maybe there's nothing inherently uh, stressful about being a minority, but it is, in fact, the way you are treated by those around you that can then trigger the stress experiencing rejection within the home, within the school, in other communities, um, experiencing bullying, physical harm, all forms of discrimination, invalidation. Um, It could even be microaggressions, honestly, where perhaps people are unaware and operating at an unconscious level. Um, So those are some of the factors that kind of snowball into creating that stress. As Dr. Rosenthal highlighted, this is all amplified in the era of social media, where people can post anonymously. This is amplified in our current um, political environment in the US nationwide. Um, So I think those factors just really amplify the stressors for young people today who are identifying as part of the LGBTQ community.
1: And discrimination can occur on several levels at once, Dr. Rosenthal added.
0: There's a lot of things that are really challenging. So, I mean, one of the pieces that we see is something that's discussed as called intersectionality, where we really see multiple different subpopulations that are coming together. So we, for example, see um, people that identify with, let's say, a Latino, African-American, um, gay boy um, that is having more challenges because of the intersectionality of discrimination and challenges upon them as a minority stress population.
1: And data supports the idea that simply being aware and supportive can have a huge impact.
2: The resiliency literature for decades always talks about like one person. You just need one person to have your back. And so I think that's so important for our LGBTQ young people is that they have an ally and if it's not at home then in the school setting in, you know, their friend group, wherever it might be, a coach, whomever it might be, just really looking for those allies. Um, Of course, we encourage parents to listen to their children's voices and try to help them um, feel proud of whoever their authentic self is and perhaps support them as they grow with helping, um, if they're trans perhaps, maybe helping their outside align better with how they see themselves inside and so on. Um, A lot of parents talk about the success of driving um, and having a conversation when that young person is next to them because somehow having... Just that ability to look out that windshield rather than stare into each other's eyes really does help promote a good dialogue. So I put that out there in inviting parents to try to find ways to open the doors to communication. But if not a parent, then someone else in their network to just say, I see you. I provide that unconditional support.
1: The 2023 Trevor Project survey further supports Dr. Roderick's point. It found that having at least one accepting adult can reduce the risk of a suicide attempt among LGBTQ young people by 40%. Yet fewer than 40% of respondents found their home to be affirming to their identity, and a majority reported being verbally harassed at school because people thought they were LGBTQ.
2: So it's a heavy, heavy burden. And, you know, young people are obviously connected to media at their fingertips many, many hours a day. They are bombarded with this information and they are sponges. They are taking this in. And so it's shaping how they view themselves, how they view the world around them, how they feel about the future. So the effects are super profound and um, the effects can kind of snowball over time. There's a lot of self-esteem issues that can kind of develop as you're receiving these negative messages. Um, You may then kind of be one of these isolated young people that you just don't know who's safe to turn to. Um, so we're seeing that a lot, that young people are withdrawing into themselves, um, not trusting the world around them to be safe and responsive. If you have a young person who all of a sudden, we talked about isolating themselves, but you can also think about a student who all of a sudden has a dramatically different uh, performance in school where their grades are declining without any real obvious reason for why that might be. Certainly, if if a parent is seeing a young person who's crying often, who's um, even making uh, statements or threats around self-harm, I really do encourage that they connect with mental health professionals and get an evaluation, get some answers, and see if there can be solutions for that young person.
0: And I think there's other warning signs that we need to look at as well. I mean, one of the things that we know is, is that adolescents often will want to be able to create their own identities and create their own perceptions and be able to have their own friends and figure out their own way in the world. And that's all part of normal development. But what we really do want to make sure we're having is, is that if we do see a lot more of isolation, if we do see a lot more of people only living in virtual worlds rather than in real worlds, if we do see people not interacting with peers or society um, or being able to kind of be able to go to school or being able to have those social interactions, those are really a critical part of childhood development and being able to develop who we are. And so really making sure that we can create spaces that we understand those things that are going on. Self-harm is another significant concern. And so obviously if a child does considering self-harm or something like that is certainly something that we need to do. So all of these things are really other issues that we need to address and make sure that when we see them as parents, as family members, as teachers, as trusted adults in these kids' lives, that we're able to help them get the mental health support that they need. While social
1: media and traditional media play a major role in kids' mental health, Dr. Rosenthal added, it's no longer just commentary in the news. Anti-LGBTQ legislation is being enacted into law in states like Florida, North Dakota, Tennessee, and Texas, and Kids Notice.
0: In addition to everything that's happening in the media and that we see online, I think that there are new laws that are being passed that specifically are created to remove rights from individuals that identify as as part of the LGBT community, to be able to limit people's decisions about how they're going to to lead their lives.
1: As of this year, there are more than 520 bills targeting LGBTQ rights that have been introduced in state legislatures. Of those, over 125 would prevent trans youth from being able to access health care
0: this sort of additional stress that's kind of created by different agendas that exist add additional stress. And I think that that brings it kind of is not only just something that people experience in their lives, but it's sort of like, something that they're hearing on the news, they're seeing in their feeds, that's showing up on CNN, that's showing up in their information that they look at from so many different angles, they feel continually that the world is necessarily putting weight on them. And what we need to do is is figure out how we can help lift that and really help provide safe spaces for those individuals so that they feel that they can have safe spaces to talk about in our schools, with our families, in our healthcare environments. And that's what we spend a lot of time doing.
1: And the burden is amplified for LGBTQ kids living in states where these laws are proposed or in effect.
2: We know of families that are picking up and moving. They are relocating um, where mom and dad um, or mom and mom, for that matter, dad and dad, whatever, where they don't have all the answers, but they just know they need to find appropriate health care and have that access for that young person. Um, there are families where they're just terrified of, of punitive measures that will be taken against them. Um, so these are, these are very, very real concerns. Um, it is an enormous burden and, um, you know, we're doing what we can in terms of Northwell telehealth and reaching who we can here in New York state. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a huge concern nationwide.
1: So how do you create these safe spaces? On an individual level, simply knowing more about certain topics related to these communities and experiences can help, according to those surveyed in the 2023 Trevor Project report. Over 70% of respondents cited gender identity, sexual orientation, and pronouns as topics they wish people around them knew more about. Other topics included the gender binary, microaggressions, racism, and intersectionality. And Dr. Rosenthal said, you can show that you understand these topics in creative ways. For him and Dr. Roderick, that includes wearing colorful pins on their name tags and lanyards.
0: I have a pronoun pen that lets people know that my pronouns are he and him. Because it really makes an enormous difference because regardless of what pronoun someone else uses, the fact that I'm telling other people that I know what a pronoun is and how it's critically important to an identity for some people makes an enormous difference. I have rainbow pens for LGBT patients. I have trans flag pens for my trans patients. You walk into our office and you see a rainbow flag. You see a big sign that says trans rights equals human rights. These are going to let these young people be seen and feel that they can find other people like themselves and create those kinds of environments. I think patients love it. I think parents like, oh my gosh, you like get my kid. I think that's one of the key messages that I'd really like to have come out of today. We started the story really talking about um, the the staggering statistics that are coming out of the CDC and all the challenges that we have there. But the real question is, is what can we do and how can we really change this so that we can make people feel that they have safe spaces and they have things that they can do that can make a difference for them and that can really make them feel comfortable um, in different environments.
1: Beyond nonverbal cues, Dr. Roderick had this advice for parents to help their children feel more supported at home.
2: I just want parents to think about it not as a black and white issue, but think about all the different degrees of acceptance that they can communicate. I think it can be a little overwhelming for parents to kind of envision their own journey sometimes, but if they can think about one small step of um, perhaps using a different pronoun for their child, a different name for their child, and just starting small like that if their child is trans and kind of looking to be seen in a different way. That's just one example.
0: So I think those changes in the home are really important, um, but changes in the school are also really important. And one thing that I was fortunate to participate with it was a change that occurred within it was a committee that was formed by the New York State Department of Education Board of Regents over the past year. And in June of this year, the New York State Department of Education Board of Regents released new guidance for schools um, within all the public schools within New York State called Creating a Safe and Supporting and Affirming School Environment for Transgender and Gender-Expansive Students. It's a 2013, 2023 legal update and best practices. And one of the things that we did is, is we brought together resources that were from LGBT agencies, from school psychologists, from school boards, from other organizations that represent um, the community and the legal community. Really, to be able to represent the medical community on behalf of Northwell Health was quite an honor.
1: The 42-page document highlights existing protect- Protections within New York law to help public schools better cultivate a safe environment for all students, regardless of sex, gender, identity, or expression. Importantly, it also included comments from the same students it's looking to support.
0: Really what we heard was the voices of the students. And one student actually told us, just be polite to everyone, treat someone like a person and not like they're strange or they're out of place. Small things like that will go a long way. It's those words that make a huge difference. And so there are opportunities now to make sure that you can grab that document and be able to have those resources to understand what you can do to help your child um, navigate the school waters about how you're able to create safe spaces in schools. What bathroom are your kids going to use? How are they going to make sure that there's no bullying? What are we going to do to make sure that your child's preferred name appears on the school roll when they're calling the kid's name in class? Um, how do we make sure that your kid's pronouns are need are-, are addressed? How do we make sure that there's clubs that provide other supportive environments and safe spaces where you can have an opportunity to talk to other kids that are interested in the same thing as you are or about LGBT identities so I think that different people want different things kids don't necessarily all want the same thing some kids are going to say I want to read a book some kids are going to say I want to talk to someone and some kids are going to just see a flag and feel like they've got a safe classroom that they can walk into so I think that the key thing is is creating these safe spaces at schools and the same truly applies to I think other places where young people People congregate. If that's going to be congregations of prayer, mosques, synagogues, churches, if that's going to be youth centers or community centers, all of these places need to create a, an opportunity for the young people to be themselves.
1: The new guidance also facilitates compliance with state and federal laws concerning bullying, harassment, discrimination, and student privacy. You can find a link to the document in the show notes. While centers dedicated to treating these communities like the one at Northwell Health are growing in number, access to care remains a major pain point for many LGBTQ kids.
0: Mental health is still a scary word to some people. There's still stigma associated with it. There's still challenges associated with it. Over half of the patients that wanted to see a mental health provider from the LGBT community didn't see a mental health provider. The youth sometimes feel that they... They're afraid to talk to mental health concerns about someone else, but they also feel that they need to get their parents' permission in order to talk to someone else, and they also feel that they they wouldn't be taken seriously um, or that it wouldn't work.
1: One way to bridge the gap, Dr. Rosenthal says, is better collaboration between schools and health systems.
0: Our schools have school psychologists and school social workers that can be a gateway for helping to make sure that your mental health needs can be met. And it's really essential that you can get that as a starting point to be able to kind of make sure you can have those resources, to be able to have the opportunity to talk to someone and to be able to get that support so that you can go through adolescents and have the additional resources available by creating programs that partner with schools that work with schools is really essential and Northwell Health is very fortunate. We have school-based health clinics which have both medical and mental health providers in them um, in, in several different areas but we also have the phenomenal new um, newer um, mental health clinics that are associated with the schools within um, Queens specifically and other areas um, that have mental health providers that are dedicated mental health providers um, social workers, psychologists and other mental health providers that are on site that are there specifically to provide Provide embedded services within these schools. And there's also other programs that really talk about health education for the LGBT community and populations like that, that go into schools and provide resources and our work with community engagement. And so... The answer is 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 not yes or no, one or the other. I think the answer is yes, 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 and yes. And I think the reality is is that we have an access problem. We know that there aren't enough mental health professionals to go around. We know that there's a disproportionate individuals that that have an ability to pay that have access to health care. So how can we, as an organization and as a health system, do the work that 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 you were just describing that's really occurring with these programs to be able to bring mental health resources? to the doors of places that need it and to make sure that we can bring the care towards people rather than having people have to come to us.
2: Um, I know there's a lot of waiting lists out there nowadays for mental health services. So um, certainly we encourage families to um, be assertive, aggressive almost in kind of seeking out those services. Um, I know Northwell is definitely doing a lot um, to try to reach students where they are in their school districts. So just families know that there are new linkages at all times um, from Northwell. So there's definitely a push in our local community. Um, from families as well as school communities to be affirming, to be supportive. Um, Certainly, there's a lot of crisis resources out there. So we've mentioned all sorts of research by the Trevor Project, but also there's a hotline for young people. There's a social media space that is very supportive. Um, So that comes through the Trevor Project and um, is definitely very specialized for LGBTQ young people. So I, I want families to know there are resources out there. There's PFLAG support groups for families where they can meet others who are perhaps going along their journey as well, trying to figure it out. Um, so we just encourage families to, you know, access supports that are out there um, to gather information from trusted, reliable resources. So if you're doing an online search, be mindful of what those resources are that you're drawn from.
1: To learn more about the warning signs and to find helpful resources, listeners can visit northwell.edu forward slash mental health. If you think a child has harmed themselves or is in immediate danger of harming themselves, call 911 or get them immediate care. That does it for this episode on child suicidality in the LGBTQIA community. On behalf of Sandra Lindsay and our entire 20-Minute Health Talk team, thank you for listening. I'm Rob Hoyle. Have a great day
2: and stay safe.